Bibles, if you would, to Matthew 1. Preacher, thank you for letting me uh, teach Sunday school this morning. Looking forward to it. And we're looking at the uh, life of Christ before his birth. We're looking at just the, uh, the days, the months, the year or so leading up to the birth of Christ is kind of what we're looking at right now and as we lead into Christmas time. So that'll be taken from two main passages. One is going to be Matthew 1. Any guesses on the other, on the other uh, book, chapter? Luke, Luke, and then so Luke, because Luke 2 is what everybody knows. Yes, the birth of Christ, so we'll look at Luke 1 right, at, right before that. And so we'll look at that together this morning. But Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. So looking at big news for a young couple, Mary and Joseph. Uh, my goodness, can you imagine receiving news like this? As <laughs> any, any, any um, great announcement, any great gift always comes with a degree of responsibility. I mean, do you remember when you first found out that you were expecting that you're going to have kids? Just the joy and then the immediate um, responsibility that comes over. I remember I was at a, a I was in a, a wedding, uh, maybe I was just married, and we were, so a bunch of us guys were just been getting married, and we were in a wedding, and one of the older guys, I mean, he was, you know, old and wise, he's in 22, 23, and he was trying to give advice to the other guy getting married. He's like, there's something weird that happens when you get married. There's something like, I can't explain it. I don't know if there's a word for it, but there's like this constant pressure, and you always have to take care of everybody, and the one guy's like, responsibility? Yeah, that's it. That's what it feels like when you get married. There's a responsibility. I think about when, when the news came to Mary and Joseph that Jesus was coming and the, the joy and then the immediate responsibility, I think, that came right after that. And just, if you would imagine you got news of promotion, guess what? You're, you're going to be the boss. You're going to run the company. It comes with a huge pay rate. It comes with great benefits. Huge responsibility, additionally, and, and the reality of that sets in. So you, I think you can kind of see the wave of emotion go through Mary and Joseph as they get the news about this. But we're looking at Joseph first. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, we'll go through these scriptures together and just uh, pull out some truths and ask that God would teach us. Let's pray together before we read this. Dear Lord, thank you for letting us be in Sunday school. Thank you for letting us have your word. Thank you for giving us this story, the backstory. Thank you for giving us the Bible. And God, I ask that we would all be students of your word this morning, that as we come to a Sunday school hour, that you would teach, that, that we would not just be educated in your word, but edified through your word. Thank you, God, for loving us, and thank you for Jesus. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Matthew 1.18. Now the birth of Jesus was on this wise. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Uh, so, timeline, chronology here. The birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. His mother was espoused, so we know there's an engagement that has already taken place. Mary and Joseph know each other. They're not married yet. And before they came together, uh, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now, here's the thing. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example. So, Joseph finds out she's expecting. Okay, so pause for a minute on that, that word expecting. I worked with a man uh, named Sam Reed. He's one of the senior guys on staff at, at Trinity and been in, in ministry for decades. And, and he's very particular with a lot of his words. Whenever you'd say, please pray for this lady she's expecting, he would always correct you and say she's with child. And it's something that he, he took very personally. And he just said, you know, it's easier to be able to treat something like a non-human when you just say expecting or pregnant. He said, with child brings a weight with it. And isn't that the truth when you think about it? And you think about um, an abortion is nothing more than killing a small child. 
when someone's with child and how the value of life from conception. And so the Bible says that she was with child. And now at this point, question for you, uh, I don't know how much conversation went on between Mary and Joseph at this point in the story. Others knew that they, they found out she, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. It was clear that she was expecting. Did Mary know what was going on at this point? Yes, she did. She already had news before, before she saw signs of, of being with child. She knew what was coming. So let's go over to Luke 1 and see the, the, the uh, news, the announcement to Mary leading up to this passage in Matthew 1. And we'll come back to Matthew 1. So Luke 1, and we will go to verse 26. It's a very, I think, simple lesson just working through the scriptures and just being able to re-familiarize ourselves with this story, but it's a wonderful story. It's so special. Luke 1, 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. God uh, takes, I think, a special amount of effort to, to reiterate that she's a virgin, that a virgin espoused to a man, the virgin's name was Mary, the verse that we read back in Matthew before they came together. It's, it's very clear that this was something that was divine, that this is something that was special, that God orchestrated. But you look at verse 26, in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God into the city of Galilee. The angel Gabriel. Now, question for you here, as we learn the Bible together, the angel Gabriel, has he appeared anywhere else in Scripture up until this point? Yes, the answer is yes. Has he appeared anywhere else in Scripture up until this point? Yes, he has. Okay, because you know the follow-up question. If you say yes, where, right? The first one's easy. The first one's in this chapter. Right before it, Zacharias. Gabriel was the one that appeared to Zacharias and told him about his, Zacharias' wife, Elizabeth, was going to have a son who he would name John. John. Good job. So the, the news of John the Baptist's birth was delivered through Gabriel. Now, how about anywhere else in the Bible? So we have Mary, we have Zacharias. One other Bible character person got to... Daniel is correct. Someone said Joseph. I thought maybe I missed one. <laughs> Daniel is correct. Daniel twice. Got Gabriel talked to Daniel and helped him in that, in that sense. I think this. Um, we don't have a whole lot of context about the ministry of angels in the Bible. We have a little bit. I think when we get to heaven, though, we, we have drawn a picture of what we think angels look like and, and what they do in their ministry. I think we're going to be really surprised. I think that a, a lot about the spiritual realm, about, about how that operates and how uh, heaven looks and how Jesus uses angels, God uses angels, I think a lot of it's going to be a surprise to us. And I think one day we're going to be in heaven and God's, we're going to be like, God, what is that? And he's going to say, it's, uh, it's a cherubim. <laughs> That's not a cherubim. I saw the flannel graph. <laughs> that is a misrepresentation of a cherubim. I, I clearly know what it looks like. But... <clears throat> The idea of just how God operates is, is still a mystery, and that's a special thing, that, that we are not going to be able to just logic out how God works. Even when it comes to angels, we have one angel, and he's appearing three, four times in the Bible, and just the way that he approached things. When, when Daniel saw Gabriel, he fell down, and he was, he was afraid. When Zacharias saw Gabriel, he was afraid. The Bible says that Mary, I think it says that she was troubled, is how the Bible puts it. And this is interesting. Um, 
Let's look at it together. The angel came unto her in verse 28 and said, Hail thou that are highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou, woman. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. I don't understand. Uh, just, she wasn't, I don't think her reaction at his appearance was as dramatic as the men's were, but she seemed to be more puzzled by his salutation than his appearance. I don't know what that means. It's just something that I thought about when I was reading the scriptures. And you can think about it too. I don't know if it's just the difference response between a man and a woman when they saw, the men saw something and they, they assessed it visually and she just listened closely to the words and that's what impacted her more. I don't know if, if it's the fact that when he approached her, he approached her differently. He looked differently. I mean, the Bible talks about in Hebrews, entertaining angels unawares. I don't, I don't know. I don't, and we don't, but we can, we can suppose and we can read and we can study, but I think this, just that heaven's going to be wonderful, that all the things that have been concealed, it's just going to be so, so fun to get up to heaven and see all of the things that we, God gave us glimpses. He gave us a little bit of taste of that, a, a little insight to it, and it's just a, a great mystery to us, and uh, great is, is the mystery of godliness. And so we look about the, just studying through angels and look at Gabriel coming through, and so, I mean, you can understand Gabriel, it's a, it's a masculine name. Uh, he's, he's referred to in a masculine fashion. He appears in the Old Testament and New Testament, so you can garner some information about angels through it, but... You know, there's a lot unsaid. And it's, it's fun to just read and try to, to put all the pieces of the puzzle together. Okay, we're going on then in verse mm, 26. Let's roll back to 26 and read there a little bit. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God, verse 27, to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph. Um, <laughs> we come to this in, in verse uh, 27 and 28. The virgin espoused to a man, verse 28, and the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Uh, the angel said unto her, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. This salutation, this greeting, was this because of what Gabriel knew was to come, or because of what she had already accomplished in her life. I think it was a little bit of both. I think Gabriel comes to her and says, look, you're, you're a special individual and God's going to do special things through you. And I think it was an anticipation of what would happen and she was puzzled by it. Uh, I think a lot about Gideon. I think when the angel came to Gideon and, he, and they called him, a, I think, a mighty warrior, they thought, I, I've not done anything to deserve this title. And I think that maybe when the angel came to Mary and, and said that you're highly favored, she thought, I don't know that I'm particularly special at all. I think she was a humble individual. I think, I think that this, this puzzled her. And I think this, when it comes to being highly favored, we don't know much, a, a, much about Mary and about Joseph. We know even less about who raised Mary and Joseph. And the idea that historically, at this point in time, Mary's gonna be a very young lady. She, I mean, in suppose even teenage years. And for her to have this type of salutation, this type of reputation at such a young age, I think it points back to being raised in a special way. I think there's something about the way that she was brought up that God didn't pick her at random. This wasn't a lottery pick that God chose Mary. The idea that she was highly favored. As parents, as we raise children, are we raising our kids in an, in an environment, in a culture, or where we give them the best chance to be used of God? Are we, are we pouring and investing into our own kids in a way where God's going to be able to say, look, that's something special. Now, look, God will use 
a willing servant. God will use an individual who has had some issues in their life and who has cleaned them up. God will use that. But you know what? When God decided to deliver Jesus to this world, he chose a virgin. He chose someone who was highly favored. He chose somebody special. And, and for you to give your children that opportunity to raise them in a Christian home, to be able to give them all the opportunity to be able to be highly favored. And so it comes to this, setting a standard of highly favored. It doesn't take much to impress this world. We were flying back last night uh, from, we got, Laura and I and the girls got to go out to Oregon, and we flew back late last night, and on the, on the flight, our family got split up a little bit, so Chelsea and Chloe were sitting by themselves on the airplane. And the flight attendant figured out that they were my daughters, and he came back to me and just went on and on about how great they were. And I, I enjoy hearing those things. As a father, it's fun to hear, and just how polite they were, and the eye contact that they made, and how they spoke up, and how they took their headphones off when he approached, and all the things, but listen, this is a Seattle-based flight crew. It doesn't take much to impress people from Seattle about good behavior, right? I mean, all their hair was their natural color. That was already impressive, because we were in the minority. If your hair wasn't some neon color on the airplane, you were unusual, right? <laughs> because, because you actually uh, were kind, kind-spirited. And so sometimes we look at our, our kids and we say, hey, based on this world's standards, they're outstanding. They're doing exceptionally well. This world's standards aren't to be used to measure our Christianity. You, you cannot do that. You, you look at your children and you say, look, what is the world's standard for a good marriage? Well, just that it doesn't split up. If it stays together, that's special. We're not just trying to meet the world's standards. What are the world's standards for good kids? Well, I mean, they're not on any addictive substances, right? Uh, they're, they're going to maybe not get pregnant before they get married. And so sometimes I think as Christians, especially Christian parents, we raise our kids and we just say, phew, I, I mean, they survive this world. God doesn't want you to get your kids by and just make them be able to barely survive. I think God looked at Mary and said, you're highly favored. If you could do something special, if you could raise your kids, and it takes a lot of energy, it takes a lot of purposeful decisions in our lives to be able to say, I want to invest in my kids. One of the greatest travesties is mediocre parenting for Christians. It's a, it's a lose-lose situation. You get your kid in a church environment and not really fully in church. Maybe a Christian school, but not really invested in the Christian school. It's just you're participating here. And then also, on the other hand, though, what you've done is you've diluted the idea of the Christian influence in their life. First of all, Christian school, church, those are supposed to be able to reinforce what's being taught at home. That's not supposed to replace the idea of you taking the primary responsibility of teaching your kids, of raising your kids, of educating them in the Lord. That's, that comes to the mom and dad. That comes to, that responsibility is with you. And now if you want to utilize a Christian school to be able to reinforce that, that's great. But don't let it replace that. Don't think that Sunday school for your kids is where all of their church and Bible education and Bible knowledge needs to come from. Well, if it's going to come from you and I, that means that we have to we personally know these things well enough to be able to transfer them to our children. Amen. But the idea of, of mediocrity, so you put them in and just participating, not necessarily invested, and you've diluted the Christian aspect of that. But when you, when you put them, look, when you put your children in a Christian school or a Christian environment, there is going to be maybe on a secular level, sometimes they step down. Um, a lot of my aunts and uncles, they're lost. They don't understand the idea of going to a non-accredited college. It's pointless. Well, yeah, because based on their standards, based on what they're trying to achieve, it, it doesn't meet, it's not going to end up here. I'm, I'm not trying to achieve that, though, and that's what they don't understand. But if you put your, your children in a Christian environment, 
and they're lacking both the Christian investment and also any secular investment, they're not going to be able to succeed on either end. I don't know how many teenagers that I worked with in 11 years, who, I mean, so teenagers 17, 18, 19 year old, years old, 10 years later, 27, 28, 29 years old, who look at, back at their parents and say, they didn't give me a Christian education, they robbed me of any education. What happened? It was a passive approach to Christian education. So it's passive approach to Christianity, passive approach, and a dilution of education, and, and they feel like they can't succeed on either end. My point is this, if you're going to have children that are highly favored, set a standard of living in your home, and you press toward that mark. Don't settle for mediocrity. So when compliments come to your kids, let your kids hear them. Go ahead and transfer those. Make sure that, talk about an encouraging word for a young lady. When, when he said, look, you're highly favored. The power, the influence of being able to speak life, being able to compliment this, Mary at this time. Talk about a nervous situation for her. And with a few words of, of encouragement, what that did for her spirit. So as a parent, don't think that when the world says your kids are doing great, that they are the ones that we're supposed to measure our, our child rearing by. Their level of success is completely different than ours as a Christian. One. Two, when it comes to your children, go ahead and bring them some encouragement that they're doing well, that they're doing a good job. Um, catch your kids doing right. Try it sometime. Try it this week. Your kids can be back playing in the, in the bedroom for three hours, and the only time you get up to go catch on, check on them is when the fight breaks out and you hear like the, the emotions escalating. They can sit in Sunday morning, Sunday, uh, Sunday school, Sunday night service, and the only time you address them in church is when they're doing poorly. I mean, they're sitting in church for three hours, and in the three minutes that they're doing poorly, go ahead and take some time to, to be able to give them some encouragement to be able to point out that they're doing well, to be able to, to what the angel came unto her and said, Thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. So verse 29 of Luke 1, And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor. Uh, and thou hast found favor. Uh, let me go to verse 30. Favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. Uh, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be seeing I know not a man? This is very interesting to me that she asked this question. Because it seems like a legitimate question. It seems like it's uh, an appropriately asked question. How is this even possible? But when Zacharias asked the question to Gabriel, what happened to him? <laughs> He made him dumb. He couldn't speak. And so had Mary had some backstory to this, I don't know if she would have asked this question. I think she would, maybe would have not asked. But once again, it's unpredictable. You can't look at this and say, hey, because Zacharias asked Gabriel a question, you're never allowed to ask questions. Here's the idea when it comes to the spiritual realm, when it comes to, to having a relationship with Christ. It, God is not a keypad. It's not a you follow this exact formula and it, it's going to turn out like this. It's, I, I, I really think that sometimes our paradigm of, of, of a relationship with God is kind of like a keypad entry. If I push these buttons, automatically this door will open. That's not how we approach relationships in life. With, with your a husband and wife and a spouse, if I automatically say these words, this is going to be the outcome. You, 
It's a relationship when it comes to knowing Jesus Christ and growing in the Lord. And when it comes to the things that, once again, I try to, try to predict and say, this is what should have been the outcome. Well, God decided it wasn't going to be. God decided he was going to approach things differently. And this is not to dilute that we serve a God that never changes. This is the, the Bible says there's no variableness nor shadow of turning with him. He's not going to be whimsical in, in this personality one day and this way the next. But the idea is it's to reinforce the fact that it's a relationship that we have with him. That Jesus isn't a formula. That Christianity and a walk with God, and as you read through the Bible, it's not just a step process. It is a relationship that we're developing with God. So he said, she, she asked him, how is this, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Once again, just under the, the guise of Bible study, of being able to just go through the Bible and read it and try to pull things out. I, I don't know about you, but I see so many parallels between Jesus being born of Mary and the idea of a new birth in Christ. She said, how is this possible? I haven't done anything to be able to bring this about. And he said, it's going to be the work of the Holy Ghost is going to do it. I mean, we think about Titus, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. How is, it, how is salvation even possible? Because it's definitely not anything that I've been able to do to be able to achieve this. And it's the work of the Holy Ghost. It's the, it's the conviction of the Holy Ghost. And it's Christ. I think about this passage in, uh, in Romans 10, or Romans 8. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. The idea that Christ dwelling in us. The idea that Jesus Christ was going to be inside of Mary and that it was a work of the Holy Ghost and it wasn't anything, any work that, that she did of her own. And the idea of just the miraculous birth of Christ and the miracle of salvation. And may we not lose how miraculous salvation is. The day that you got saved. If you would, if you would think back about the time that you accepted Christ as your Savior and you would remember what that meant to you and the significance that it means for your eternity. And you recall that every time somebody walks this aisle and gets saved, every time there's an announcement of a bus kid accepting Christ, and just that their forever has been changed. And what that means for their life here on this earth to have a new life in Christ and, and uh, to be born again, and the miracle of salvation. Once again, the idea of Mary being with child of the Holy Ghost, I can't really explain it. I can read it to you and tell you that's what happened. I don't know. And I think the same thing when I try to fully explain my salvation. I was witnessing to a guy on the airplane on the way to Oregon. There's a couple of brothers sitting in front of me, Blake and Brent. And I want to give them a track. I talked to them, two massive guys, just beasts of men. Like they took up three seats and there's only two of them. And, and, and the only track I had was a little tiny one with the, the, the dry ground and the flower coming out of it that said hope. I thought this is such a girly track for such manly men. I didn't have any other one to give them though, but I decided to just go for it anyways. So, man, I hope this goes over well. Well, it was after we had a conversation and it, he turned back around and said, look, do you really believe that there can be hope? Because our father was just diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer and, and we're, we're struggling with this. And we got to talk about eternal security. Both of them had been saved. Their father's a born again believer and talked through eternal security. There's a point at which when giving scripture, I can support eternal security. But logically, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand how God could give me a gift of eternal life 
and just hand it over to me. And let me, it's eternal from, from the day I accept it. I would try to, try to logic that out, that God would give you eternity. That he would say that this is, this is a gift. I'm going to die. I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to give it to you. No strings attached. You're not working this off. This isn't a loan. And this isn't something that based on merits at all. No, I, based on my logic, that's not quite mm, fair. <laughs> not at all. But thank God it's not. And when you come to a miracle of salvation and the miracle of, of the virgin birth and the miracle of a Christ child, it is something that uh, we walk by faith and not by sight. And so now we can rejoice in just how, how great God is. So we looked at, at Mary and just uh, now Mary has the information from Gabriel. She knows what's going on. Go back to Matthew chapter 1. Let's finish up here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for letting us just go through this verse by verse this morning. Matthew 1. We'll go to verse 19. Uh, we read 18, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. Verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. So Joseph didn't have any divine understanding of what was going on here. All he knew was what he saw with Mary and what she no doubt had told him was, was uh, communicated to her. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And thank goodness Joseph had this, this divine message delivered to him. And she shall bring forth the son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord of the Lord by the prophets, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. I don't understand how you can say Jesus isn't God when he shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. I'm not really sure. That seems very clear to me. I know there's some passages in the Bible that I kind of have to think on. That one's not requiring a whole lot of thought. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is God. Amen. Next. Then Jesus, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Once again, just grateful for the fact that Joseph listened to this and decided not to put away Mary, not to, make it, not to, to dismiss this relationship that God had brought in his life. Do you remember in Matthew when uh, some critics of Christ said, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And you and I know that he's not the carpenter's son. But can you imagine had Joseph been around at this time to overhear somebody associate him with being Jesus' father? Being associated with Jesus himself? And the idea that that would never have happened had he separated from Mary at this time. And the idea of just simple obedience in simple areas, what kind of influence or impact that, what that's going to mean for you in the future. And I, once again, just to, is not this the carpenter's son? I had a part in Jesus' upbringing. I'm associate, people are associating me with him. And that's something that only comes through obedience. That's something that only comes by faith. And the idea that Joseph listened, that Joseph followed this, and the, the, the thought is this, that when it comes to relationships, when it comes to raising children, when it comes to the will of God, there's a lot of unknowns. There really are. And it's not going to be something where you're going to be able to come to church, get all the answers, and be, be uh, okay, I feel confident moving forward because I know exactly what's going to happen. There are a lot of unknowns. The information that Joseph got from the angel well, wasn't exhaustive, but he acted on what he was told. When it comes to the will of God in our life, there's a written will of God. And there's also an unwritten will of God. There's a specific will of God for each and every one of us that's not detailed in the Bible. 
But for us to be able to know the unwritten will of God, I think the idea is this, just simply act on what you know to be right. Start there. Why, if it's a progressive thing, why would I explain to you step two if you haven't followed step one? God said, here, I want you to act on this. The, the idea came to me, the thought when it comes about in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything give thanks. This is the will of God. So that if I don't, am not giving thanks in everything and I'm not doing the will of God in that area, why would God reveal his will in other areas? If it's clearly written, if it's been communicated to me and I'm not followed step one, why would he highlight step two? When it came to Joseph, when it comes to our relationships with, with our spouse, <laughs> a man and wife being married, there's a lot of differences in a home. There's a lot of unknowns when it comes, especially to young relationships, when it comes to raising children. Even if you've had one or two or three, every child is so unique, so different, every experience, and you think, God, I'm not really sure what I'm doing here. Go ahead and follow things that you know to do. Go ahead and sp 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 put a special amount of effort and energy into doing the written will of God and let him guide you through the rest. You see, that, that's what happened with Joseph. In verse 24, then Joseph, being raised from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, took unto him his wife, he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. He simply followed the instructions that were given to him, and, and guess what? It turned out really well for him. It did. And, and big news for a young couple. I don't know what news you'll face, whether it be good, whether it be bad. Whatever it is, it's going to come with a degree of responsibility. You say, how am I going to handle this? Go ahead and take it one step at a time. And preacher, that is our lesson for today. Thank you very much.